Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you and your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. I first began to uh, preach and teach way, way back in the um, early 80s. And uh, I was focused a lot on worship and prayer as I still am today. But something was really driven home to me about the importance of worship and ministering to the Lord as Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 66, making a resting place for the glory of God. In our church in North San Diego County at the time that my wife and I were helping out with leadership, We were, in the late 70s, early 80s, we were just learning how to pray for the sick. And we began to see over about a two, three year period a a number of healings. I think some people we prayed for got more sick after we prayed for them. But, you know, you learn as you go and you bless the victims. (laughs) But uh, we began to see a few healings and just enough to keep us encouraged that we really needed to pursue God in this area. We were also growing in prophecy as well, word of knowledge, but we weren't seeing any creative miracles. And most of you know that both healing supernaturally are from God as well as miracles, but miracles is when something's been destroyed that cannot be healed, like a withered limb or a blind eye. It's God's creative power. And uh, I and several of my friends and the key leaders, we were praying continually, Lord, what do we need to do to go to the next level? And one day, a, um, a woman in our church, about maybe 25, came up to me and she said, my mother's in the hospital and tonight they're going to do an operation. Her colon is destroyed by cancer. Would you come to the hospital early this afternoon and pray for her that God would do a miracle? And so I felt like Laura was in it. I said, yeah. And I arranged for two friends of mine to join me and we showed up at four o'clock. But I went home from church and I spent about an hour and a half, two hours praying, oh God, how should we pray for this lady? Because as I said, we hadn't seen a creative miracle like that and uh, where something was completely destroyed coming back. And I, I wondered, Lord, should we just rebuke the cancer in the name of Jesus? You know, should we just quietly intercede? Should we soak the person? Should we just speak blessings? How should we go about this? And you know, God is so kind, so benevolent, so encouraging. He didn't say anything at all. He just said, go and pray. So we get there and we meet the daughter. We go up to the um, hospital room and the woman had a private room, which as the story goes on, you'll understand was a very good thing. She had a private room. And uh, still wondering how we're supposed to pray. And I remembered hearing a teaching that when you pray for people in hospitals, uh, first take authority over spirits of sickness and death, because that's like the residence of hospitals. It's not like people go for vacations, you know, to hospitals, you know. So I did that, and as an afterthought, I said, Holy Spirit, would you please come and fill this room with your light, your glory, and your grace? Now, the church I was at in North San Diego County, we had some amazing times of worship, but we had never experienced what in the the Hebrew, the Old Testament, they call the weight of his presence, the uh, Shekinah, the glory of God, the heaviness of God. 
And all of a sudden, I kid you not, that room was filled with just an incredible sense of the holiness of God beyond what we had ever experienced before. And uh, I, I know people, I've told the story different places, some people think I'm exaggerating, but to the naked eye, even the room was a bit brighter. And I felt like we were experiencing just a little bit of what Moses must have experienced on the mountain. And my two friends and I just, you know, we were just overwhelmed by this. And we got down our knees and began to start worshiping the Lord. And we, there in that hospital room, we worshiped the Lord for about 20, 30 minutes or so. And we sensed the heaviness lifting. And uh, we stood up and prayed a brief prayer over the, the lady in uh, mid-50s or so. But I said to her, it's really not our prayers. It's the presence of the Lord who has been here, that where the Lord is, there is freedom. And they, uh, the daughter called me up early the next morning. She said it was absolutely bizarre. They began to do the operation, but all of a sudden the, the surgeons were shocked because they saw the colon was completely cancer-free, 100% healthy. And they... Uh, of course, they, they sewed the woman back up, but the doctors were a little bit shocked. You know, you all are in Canada. You have a pretty good health system up here. In the States, every doctor's afraid of being sued. You know, it's all of a sudden these doctors have cut this woman up and there's no cancer, you know. But they knew that they knew because of all the extensive testing that she had had extensive cancer. And that was one of the most important lessons in ministry I've ever had because I'd been concerned about what's the right way to pray. And in the kingdom of God, it's not always what you know, but it's who you know that makes a difference. And the worship was just so germane to what happened. As we were uh, stumbling around looking for the words, you know, on uh, that first song, I was looking around and I realized a lot of people didn't know that song. Um, I was thinking about one of the funnest worship experiences I've ever had, and it happened in Helsinki, Finland, with a church I've been with many times. And we were doing a, a four-night conference, kind of like here, and we started Thursday night and then went Friday night. And uh, Thursday and Friday night, they had the youth band, uh, high school and college age, leading worship, and they were just smoking. The worship was incredible, and we were spending about 45 minutes to an hour just in really great worship, and then it was just easy to flow in the word and ministry. And uh, driving back from that meeting Friday night, I said, well, uh, do you have the same band on tomorrow night? And he said, no, we've got the choir. <laughs> now, there's choirs, and then there's choirs. And I knew from being packed in that church in the past, they didn't have the choir. They had the choir. <laughs> and... My, my heart just sank within me, and I thought, oh, man, we're going to lose all the momentum, you know. And I said to the pastor, is any way you can rearrange things and keep the same band going? He thought about it for a minute. He said, well, I can do that if you really want me to, but it's going to cause me no end of political problems. And I said, enough said. Just go with the choir. And so sure enough, I was quite prophetic. The worship was dead as a doornail. And... <laughs> We did one song and all the momentum from the first two nights was gone and then it got even lower the second song and the third song. And uh, I'm looking over between the pastor and I on, on the chair there is the list of songs and I saw we had three more to go. And uh, I was about to lean over the pastor. He was a very good friend of mine and so I knew he would have uh, gone along with this. I was going to say, is there any way you can close off the worship after this song? Because it's going to take me an additional four days of preaching to get the momentum back. 
And as I, I was about to say that, the Lord spoke very clearly, and the Lord said, just wait. And towards the end of that last song, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came down the most amazing way. And to make a long story short, we spent essentially three and a half hours that night worshiping the Lord. Uh, I think twice during that three and a half hours, I got up and I spoke for maybe 10 minutes at the most. And all I did was talk about uh, being engaged with the Prince of God, responding. And there were times throughout that three and a half hours that uh, out of a crowd of seven or eight hundred that you'd look around and you'd only see maybe 100, 200 people standing or seated because such a degree of the holiness of God had fallen. Many of the people of their own volition had just were laying out on the floor just in uh, a sense of the awesomeness of God. But there was also times, two different times, we had wild celebration. Now, this is Helsinki, Finland, a lot like up here. You know, they have this weird thing called snow in the wintertime. And at one point, the people got so gone and so brain Lord, they were dancing in a circle outside around the church building in the snow. And the, the pastor sent me an email about two weeks later. And he said, because their church building, it's in a residential area surrounded by a lot of apartment buildings, that a number of the neighbors called the church and said, what were those people doing dancing around the church building? And so he called them all back and he said, I'm going to have a, a meeting with everybody who wants to know about that. And they had about 10, 15 of the neighbors come together and he met with them in the office and he shared about the Lord, the presence of the Lord in celebration. And he said three people actually gave their lives to the Lord over that. But it's, uh, I know you have uh, a lot of different types of fishing up in Canada, but in the southern states of the United States, people do this thing where they go fishing for catfish. And if you're ever down there, don't eat catfish. They're bottom feeders and not very healthy. But in the south, they love them, you know, and, and you know, it's whatever. But how you go fishing for catfish is you've got, of course, your rod and reel. You throw a line out there, and you've got a bobber, and then maybe 10 or 15 feet beyond that, at the end of your line, you've got a hook. And you take that hook, and you put this thing called a worm on it. And I don't know if you've ever done this or not. I'm not much of a fisherman, but I've had to do this once or twice in my life. It is so gruesome putting that worm on the hook because sometimes the stuff of the worm comes out and it's nasty, it's bloody, and you get the idea. It's the most unattractive thing I can ever imagine. But you know what? That worm is not there for you. The worm is to attract something else. And a lot of times in worship, we get frustrated. Well, they're not singing the songs I like. They're not singing the songs the way I like. And they've got the C team on with that one chick who always sings off key. You know what? Worship isn't about us. It's not about our tradition, about what makes us comfortable or what gives us that religious vibe. We, can, we, compare, we confuse the religious vibe with the Holy Spirit sometimes. But uh, it's, it's about ministering to God. And when we minister to God, aside from the glitches, aside from whether it's songs and music we like, aside from whether the person next to you is off-key or not, we minister. We have this incredible gift God has given us of giving a gift to him. Hello, are you alive? Some of you think about, well, when's he going to start preaching? <laughs> okay, I, now we are. I just thought I'd tell you. So. 
We're in a Pentecostal church, so I want to speak about Pentecost. Actually, I've been speaking about Pentecost almost nonstop at churches all over the world, everywhere I've been since uh, January. I believe we're in a very long, protracted season that actually started around the first of the year of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I've seen God do amazing things in Africa and Dubai a few months ago and uh, just all over England and Europe and North America. And uh, I believe, as I was sharing this morning at the Jubilee Church, that it's not like the last 10 or 15 years has been unfruitful, but the fruit has been limited. And it's like we've been growing and cultivating things in a hothouse. And you know, you can have a hothouse, and even during wintertime, when everything's dead and dormant outside, you can still grow some fruit and vegetables in that hothouse. But it's very limited what you can produce. But I felt like the Lord said, it's a new season. It's time to come out of the hothouse of the church. And the harvest fields are ripe. It's time to turn over, you know, the fallow ground and new things. How many of you know that everything God has ever done with humanity in your life always includes the Holy Spirit? In fact, I don't believe, theologically speaking, he will do anything with you apart from the Holy Spirit. We go to the very beginning of all the scriptures, and it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But it says, The Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. And there's so many times, whether we're aware of it or not, as we're praying, as we're worshiping, as we're reading scriptures, as sometimes even just meditating and talking about God, the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit is there. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how would have gathered you about me as a mother hen does her chicks. And if you've ever seen a mother hen, you know, shepherding the, the chicks, she's fluttering her wings, and it's kind of a picture there of the hovering of the Holy Spirit about us. And as the Holy Spirit was there, God began to change everything. Let there be a separation between the earth and the waters. Let there be light. Let there be vegetation. Let there be the animal realm and all the creation. But then it says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it says in verse 31, God saw that everything he made and behold, it was good. And even in this world today, with all the problems, all the questions, there's just so much goodness in life. But yet, there's also so much mayhem, so much demonic destruction. Uh, approximately five weekends ago, I had uh, flown in from uh, North America, from San Diego. I'd flown into London, England, and we were about to start a conference at a church in um, Harrow, North London, England, on Pentecost Sunday. And the church had me staying at this uh, beautiful uh, mansion that had been converted into a hotel. And it actually had been owned by Gilbert of Gilbert and Sullivan, the famous songwriting team from about 100 years ago, whenever that was. And it's just a very stately grounds in this beautiful old-fashioned brick building with, uh, I think it's called, mullion windows and all of that, uh, steep uh, 
uh, gabled roof, uh, slate roof, and all of that. And these gardens, there was just acre after acre of beautiful lawns, trees, roses, everything. And I, they picked me up in the morning at the airport, driven me there, and I was just relaxing all afternoon. And I was just thinking about the goodness of God, how God has created his image. And I thought about, you know, I flew last night at just the height of technology in a plane that can cross over thousands of miles in just a few hours, you know, and uh, that gift of creativity. And then I'm, I'm not into... Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan type of music. What is that called? You don't know either here. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not into that stuff. But, you know, I thought, you know, we're capable of creating so much. And as I looked at the those highly designed lawns and the gardens and the houses and the architecture, and I was just sitting there in a nice, warm, sunny day, taking it all in. It was just so beautiful. But then I, I got a call from my wife back in San Diego, and she said, you're in London, right? I said, yes. And she said, uh, are you anywhere near the terrorist attack? And I said, what terrorist attack? Because I hadn't been watching the news. And that very afternoon in London, on the London Bridge, that's when the three guys drove the van and just crashed into a lot of people and then took knives and, and just uh, killed a number of people and everything that went on. A good friend of mine, a pastor uh, north of London, his daughter works in a restaurant right in that area, and they had a, and they're all trained in that part of the world for emergencies like that. They had a number of people because throughout that part of London, people were just running from the the terror activity taking place, and they took in a number of people, then they locked the doors. They're just trained to do that, and she was in shock for a couple of days afterwards. But I, I was thinking, we're capable of so much beauty, so much goodness, because we're creating the image of God, but we're also capable of so much demonic mayhem. Where um, I was about two months ago, I did uh, a set of meetings in Manchester, and less than a week later, the, the bomb went off in the downtown Manchester uh, cathedral, not cathedral, but the uh, uh, arena there and uh, hundreds of people were hurt and many, many people were killed. And I talked to the pastor there the next day and he said a number of our people were at that concert, but fortunately no one was right in that area. Last year, and I think it was March, I had just done a pastor's conference in Brussels and three days later the bombs went off at the Brussels airport. And uh, I uh, emailed the, one of the pastors who had driven me to the airport, and I said, were you or were anybody you know involved in that? And that very morning that the bombs went off at the Brussels airport, he had just driven another pastor who was there for the conference we were doing and dropped him off. And, uh, and uh, he was just literally two minutes down the road leaving the airport when he heard the bombs and he just turned around and went back. And fortunately, that pastor was not hurt. But he, he said, I can't begin to describe how awful the scene was near where he was at. Uh, where I live at in San Diego, my wife and I started a church about 20, 25 years ago in San Bernardino, a small community in the foothills in the mountains near LA. And a year and a half ago, we had terrorist activity go on there. Now, what I'm saying, I am not speaking against uh, the Muslim people. But what I'm saying is as humanity, even though we're creating the image of God, 
we're capable of so much destruction as well as capable of so much beauty when we walk with God. And what makes the difference is the Holy Spirit. Because as we look at all the talking heads on the internet, on the news, that all are trying to throw their philosophies, their views of life at us for what the answers are for these incredibly complex problems. They're all well-meaning, but it's Christ in the cross. It's the kingdom of God that is the ultimate answer for the frustrations and the hurt and the rage that's in the world today. Uh, just Thursday of last week in San Diego, I met with a uh, pastor and his wife, Messianic Jewish pastor from Israel. And I've got a little bit of a hearing problem because I've spent so much time on motorcycles uh, that I've yeah, caused a little bit of wind damage to my hearing. And I kept having to ask him to speak up a little bit. And he said to me, I'm sorry. He said, I'm used to when I'm meeting with people in restaurants in Jerusalem, we have to keep our conversations very, very quiet because we don't know what may be the heart motivation or the agenda of the person at the table next to us. And it's just the world we live in today, and we've got all these questions. But in the midst of all of that, the Emmanuel, the very presence of God, is with us. And with, if we're honest, like I and my friends experienced in that hospital room way back in 1981, we know God wants to do things, but we don't always know how we should go about it. We know that the things that are impossible for us are never a challenge for God. But how are we to pursue these things? Are we just supposed to have this cave-like survival mentality that God, would you bless me and my family and my church and hallelujah, someday we're going to heaven? Or do we really take seriously the words of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. One of my favorite prophecies of Isaiah about Jesus is what he prophesied, that there'll be no end to the increase of his kingdom, his government. And unfortunately, in North America right now, we don't really see it. But if you could talk to pastors in Egypt, or if you could talk to missionaries in South America, or China, where I'm, I'm involved with a number of leaders in underground church there, you would hear story after story about the radical increase of the kingdom that's taking place right now. They estimate that over the last 25 years, more people have come to Christ than the whole rest of the church over the previous 2000. In fact, some church growth experts believe the rate at which people are coming to Christ is 200% greater than any other period in history. And we look at all the problems in North America and we think, is it possible? Yes, it is. And I wish I had time to talk about the history of revival in the Western world because oftentimes revival comes when there's almost hopeless. But we're on the verge of something right now and it all has to do with God's presence. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Actually, that's not quite true. We can do a lot of things apart from Jesus, but they're not going to amount to any eternal value. That's what we call religious behavior. 
Thank you for that encouragement. <laughs> we do all sorts of things as the body of Christ, not this church, but the one meeting down the road, that we put together time, energy, programs, inertia, publicity, all this stuff, and then we tack on the end of it, God, please bless what you're doing. But Jesus said, I only do the things I see the Father doing. And one of the great things about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said he will lead you and guide you. And the Holy Spirit wants to teach us the difference between good ideas and God ideas. When I, one person's appreciative here. I'm just, was that you, Charlie? I'm going to focus on you. The rest of them are on their own. <laughs> but it's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God's will for your life and my life has not changed from the very beginning. If we were to go all the way back to Genesis when God first spoke over humanity, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Jesus said in John 15, verse 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Not a little bit of fruit, but much fruit. We are here to be like our Heavenly Father. In fact, that's actually what Jesus said to the disciples when he appeared to them for the first time after the resurrection. He said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you created in God's image to go and bear fruit that makes a difference, fruit that remains. So how do we go about that? Well, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that in Luke 3 and Luke 4, Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. We know that in that passage, a rather long passage in John 16, Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to be leaving you. And he said, I know that fills you with grief that I tell you I'm leaving you. But he said to them, it's actually better for you that I leave you. That must have been very, very hard for them to put into perspective because they love Jesus. They've given up everything to follow him. And now he's saying he's leaving them and where he's going, they cannot follow. And he said, I know that grieves you, but it's better for you that I leave you because if I don't leave you, I cannot send the Spirit. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit has a difficult time with the church. Part of that difficulty is the Holy Spirit happens to think he's God. We sometimes think about the Holy Spirit kind of like the third cousin of Jesus. Yeah, this power, this force. But when we read so much throughout the Bible, that from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 towards the end, for example, the Spirit is the Lord. You see, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Then guess what? He left us. He forsook us. He ascended on that cloud of glory to the Father. But then he released his spirit to us. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God, Emmanuel, with us.
And so Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the power of the cross. Many people think the the power of the cross is hallelujah, we're going to heaven. It's more than that. It's better than that. The cleansing of the cross, the forgiveness of sins, the separation from our sins from the east and the west is so thorough that the actual spirit of the Lord can now dwell within us. Mark, that was a good point you made. Do not be discouraged by those blank deep sea fish looks. Do you know what the deep sea fish look is? It's when you go fishing in deep waters and you catch one way down there, you reel them up, and because of the change of pressure, by the time they get to the surface of the boat, their eyes are bulging out like Marty Feldman. A lot of you have the deep sea Marty Feldman look right now. (laughs) Throughout Israel's history with God, and beyond that, there were men and women occasionally that were anointed by the Holy Spirit. An anointing from God is when God gives you a capacity to do something for him. There can be a small anointing, there can be an anointing like creativity, like Bezalel, the craftsman who created the uh, tabernacle had. There can be like an anointing for worship that was on David. There could be anointing on warriors at times. Sometimes the kings had anointing, the prophets certainly had revelatory anointing. But that anointing was upon them. It was a capacity. That's why when David was busted for his sin by the prophet Nathan, he repented in Psalm 51 and said, please do not remove your spirit from me because he knew the spirit of God was not within him forever, but the spirit of God was resting upon him. But here Jesus is saying, you know him for he dwells with you, but he will be in you. And then Jesus paid the price for sin on Calvary. And it says in John chapter 20, when he first met with the disciples after his resurrection, verses 21 and 22, it said, he spoke to them and said, peace be with you. Because wherever the Holy Spirit is, there's peace. Now by peace, I don't mean an absence of fear. I don't mean an absence of anxiety because the peace of God goes way beyond that. The peace of God is this deep down sense, deep within your soul, deep within your bones, that your life is not just going to be good, but your life, you're going to be more than a conqueror because of the love of the Father. You see, Again, it's not just an absence of fear and anxiety. That's what the world sees as peace. The world thinks if they can get enough money, if they can get enough protection, if they can get enough this, get enough that, they'll have peace. But somehow it's never enough, is it? Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I give you peace. It's the kingdom peace, the revelation of the Father's love. And so Jesus said, peace be with you. And he said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In the same way that Jesus was sent to represent the Father and to release the kingdom of God, he was saying, so I am sending you. 
Well, what was the fuel that fed Jesus' fire? It was the love of the Father, but he ministered out of the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so when he had said this to them, it says he breathed upon them and said, receive the Spirit. And something took place with those 11 disciples on that day that had never taken place in all of humanity. The Spirit of God came and dwelt within a human being. We talk about the church. You know, this is a nice building. I like the contemporary colors. I like the ceiling and all this stuff. And sometimes I'm in buildings that are, you know, huge and very contemporary. Sometimes I'm in uh, cathedrals in Europe that are, you know, centuries, centuries old. But these walls are not the church. We are the church. The Bible calls it the church not made with hands. That we're living stones being fit together. God dwells within us. And people think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we were back in the same condition as Adam and Eve? Not in Canada. It's way too cold. <laughs> but, but the reality is Adam and Eve, they could be with God. But if you've given your life to Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, the presence of God, dwells within you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of living God. And so he breathed upon them. And this is where we have our relationship with God within us. And so we understand there's nine gifts of the Spirit, the three power gifts, the three revelatory gifts, the three speaking gifts. But there's also the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. There is the supernatural love of God. There's the peace of God, the joy of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God, the kindness, the gentleness, and a few others I can't remember. But this is what we experience within. This is our communion, and this is how Christ manifests in our life as we supernaturally, by the Holy Spirit, experience the quality, the nature, the very characteristic of Christ Jesus. But several weeks later, on what we call the Day of Ascension, Jesus gave some final words to the disciples. And he said, wait. He said, don't do anything yet, but wait, and you shall receive power from on high. Wait. Don't do anything until you're filled with the Spirit. And it says in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, before he ascended to the Father, they came together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I want you to think about this for a moment because when we think about the disciples at this point in time, we don't really think about the context that they lived in. We think about, wow, for three years they've been walking with Jesus, they've been seeing healings, miracles, deliverance, signs, and wonders, and now Jesus has risen from the dead, they just must have been on top of the world. No. Part of them was just incredibly highly elated that they knew Jesus was resurrected. But the other side of the coin was, number one, they were still very afraid of persecution. The same persecution that had gotten Jesus arrested and tortured and crucified, they were not sure whether that persecution was going to come after them as well. Number two, Israel was still oppressed by the Roman Empire. They were still a subdued, conquered people. 
They had questions, just as we have questions today. And so he said, Lord, is it this time that you're going to restore everything? We have so many questions today. We look at what's happening around us morally in our cultures. We look at a lot of changes in laws regarding religious freedom. We look at, you know, 20 years ago, the terrorism that we used to read about on the other side of the world. It's now coming. It's now here. As I said, where my wife and I started church in San Bernardino, California, just an hour and 15 minutes away from where we live now, you know, a year and a half ago, those murders took place and things that we just didn't even have to think about, you know. It's, it's just commonplace today. We've got so many questions. Lord, when are you going to return? Lord, when is this going to happen? Lord, what's going to happen with our governments? What's going to happen with our leaders? What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with global warming? What's going to happen with all these things? They had those same sort of issues in a different sense. And they said, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want to say this to you, that in the kingdom of God, the best defense is always a kingdom offense. We've got so many questions we've got answered, but I'd like to say to you, Jesus' message to the people of God has not changed in 2,000 years. It is still seek first the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That means right here in Stratford. Now I know most of you people, you've heard incredible missionary stories. Many of you have been on missions to the other side of the world. You probably have missionary friends. You hear about the harvest in places of Africa, India, China, South America. But yet we look at our own cities, we look at our own nations, and we see so much death and destruction in the Western world. We see so much moral decay. We see so much corruption. We think, is it possible? But the things that are impossible for man are never difficult for God. Not only in the macro, the big picture, but in the micro. A lot of times, the healings and testimonies that happen in meetings I'm involved in, I don't find out about those sometimes until a year or two later, or sometimes even longer, uh, because uh, for whatever reason, they don't email me about it. I love it when I've had this happen actually twice. People have come up to me and said, yeah, I was healed of ep- severe epilepsy about 10 years ago when you were here. And I'll say, well, why didn't you email me or call me, send a testimony into our website? I said, ah, you know, I didn't think you'd be interested in that. Yeah. <laughs> I just say, lean this way, would you? (laughs) But uh, there's a church, I do a lot in Norway, and uh, there's a church in Stavanger, Norway, a uh, Lutheran church there that I did a conference with five years ago, and then I just did a conference with them last August. And when I was doing the conference last August, they said, Mark, uh, one of the nights we want to have a guy before you speak give a testimony of a miraculous healing he experienced when you were here five years ago. And so he came up and he had somebody come up with him that was actually with him when I prayed for him uh, five, six years ago now. And they said, 
you didn't know what his problems were. We simply told you he had cancer, but this is the story they told me as they gave the testimony to the conference, that he had three types of stage four cancer. You're thinking, wow, isn't one enough? But he went for three for the price of one. He had cancer of the bones, he had cancer of the blood, and he had cancer of the liver. And if you know anything about cancer, especially cancer of the liver, even stage two cancer of the liver is often considered terminal. If you get to three or four, that's it, you're gone. And he had all three of those, and two friends of his uh, had to bring him to the meeting, and when I said one night we're going to pray for people with diseases, they brought him to that meeting, and they didn't have to carry him up, but they, he had to walk between them, leaning on their shoulders in order to come up and get prayer. And they didn't say to me the extent of his problem. All they said was, we told you he had cancer. But they said, Mark, when you prayed for him, you said, I rebuke the cancer and I tell even the cancer of the bones to be burned away in the name of Jesus. Two nights later, he was at home, laying on his couch. He lived in constant agony and pain. Uh, the hospital could do nothing for him. They'd done all the radiation, everything, and with, again, stage four cancer of the liver, it's, it's just hopeless. He was in constant pain. He's got about two to three weeks that they say he's got the most to live. And he's laying there on his couch, and all of a sudden, he said he experienced the glory of God. His whole living room was filled with it. And he said he was just lost like I had been, you know, many years ago, 1981 in that hospital room, lost in the sense of the Lord. And he said when that glory lifted, he said all of a sudden he noticed all the pain in his body was gone. And he felt like his energy was back. And that night he had the first good night's sleep in months and months. His friends were taking him to the hospital a couple of times a week just to try to keep tabs, even though they couldn't do anything for him, trying to monitor things. He felt so good the next morning, he jumped in his car and he drove himself to the hospital and went and showed himself to the doctors. And the doctors just took one look at him and said, good Lord, well, they might be, didn't say that, but something's happening here. And they did all the tests they could think of all the cancer from his blood, his bones, and his liver was 100% gone. That hospital in Stavanger, the cancer part of the hospital, particularly treating cancer of the liver, they uh, worked with a sister church in the United States, a group that specializes in research of cancer in the liver. And when this miracle happened, they sent the before and after reports and test, and they said, can you explain this? And the, and the group in the United States said, this is unbelievable. It's hard to believe these charts are of the same patient. We've never seen anything like this. And see, it's so easy for us to just accept the status quo because we know at the end of the day we're going to heaven. But see, the mission of Jesus is not just to get us into heaven. Yeah. We're to seek first the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And we've got all these questions, not only about the big picture, what's going to happen to the economy, what's going to happen to, is there going to be an increase of warfare? Because we're, let's face it, we're in a time of wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines and droughts, everything going on. We're very much in those times that Jesus spoke of. But in the midst of that, our mission has not changed. 
It's not for you to know the seasons, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so they spent some eight, nine, ten days in that upper room, fasting and praying and worshiping. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And most of you know the story that this happened during a time of a festival in Jerusalem. And there were people, uh, Jews and non-Jews, from all over the world that time gathered there. And people who spoke different tongues could understand in their own language the Gospels, they heard the disciples speaking. And they couldn't understand this because they thought, these are just kind of simple men. They're fishermen. They're from Galilee. How, how are they speaking our language? Now, we could go into a whole discussion about the different aspects of the gift of tongues. Is it a prayer language? Is it for preaching the Gospel a different language? I just simply want to say this. The Holy Spirit gives you a supernatural ability to relate to people that ordinarily you could not relate to. Does that make sense? Some of you are sitting like, I'm not impressed. Well, if you're not impressed with the Holy Spirit, what are you going to be impressed by? We have a, uh, a couple in our church, we have a lot of couples in our church, but uh, we had a great testimony from this young couple a couple of years ago. They were in their mid-twenties, and um, they, have any of you ever, when you're in the States, been to a Panera Bread Company? It's, it's, I don't know, I don't know what the equivalent is. It's, it's kind of like a glorified Tim Hortons, you know. And they have coffee, espresso drinks, and a lot of freshly baked breads and pastries and all of that. And this couple, they were going to Panera Bread about three or four times a week. And uh, they decided they really needed to get serious about budgeting and saving money for a house. And so they decided they had to cut out the Panera. And so they've cut out the Panera, and about three days later, the wife, let's just say her name is Judy, is running some errands, driving down the street in her car, and the Lord says to her, go to Panera. She thinks, Lord, I can't do that. We covenanted together. We're not going to go to Panera. I know she said that, but it sounds religious, doesn't it? And... Uh, you know, we, we decided, we, and the Lord said, go to Panera. She says, okay, I'll go. I'll just get a cup of coffee. I won't get one of those incredible pastries they have. <laughs> so she walks in, and she walks in. She sees this young girl, about 19, sitting by herself, looking a little bit distraught. And the Holy Spirit said to her, Judy, go up and talk to her. And now, you all, maybe you yourself are one of those prophetic evangelistic types, or maybe you know people. There's some people that just flow in that stuff. That was not Judy. She, she had shared the gospel with people she knew, but she had never shared the gospel cold turkey with somebody she didn't know. And she just said, oh, Lord, I can't do that. The Lord said, I want you to go talk to her. I'll give you the words to say. She said, I can't do it. She said, okay, you know. How many of you know it never pays to try to make a deal with God? 
Anytime you make a deal with God, he always ups the ante. He always does. He just, because he likes being God, and he's not, a, he's not very apologetic about it either. He just thoroughly enjoys being God. So the first time God says something, just say, yes, sir, go and do it. Because it'll always get worse if you try to put it off. So she makes a deal with the Lord. She said, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll go get my coffee. And if she's still sitting there, when I've got my coffee, then I'll go talk to her. So she gets her coffee, turns around, and now there's a young guy sitting across from her at the booth. Now it's twice as intimidating. She's about to walk out. The Lord said to her, Judy, where's your faith? So reluctantly, feeling sheepish, feeling silly, feeling dumb, feeling inadequate, she walks up to this table and this young couple is having a very intense discussion. And she can tell they're having an intense discussion. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, she goes up and stands right in front of their table. Very awkward moment. And the couple are leaning in, having this conversation. And all of a sudden, they realize, kind of like the Holy Spirit, Judy's hovering over them. <laughs> and she says, I don't, I don't mean to be rude. I, I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but I believe Jesus gave me something for her to you, to the young woman. And all of a sudden, these words start to come to Judy, and she points at the woman and she says, the Lord says you're very afraid of your future, of what's going to happen, but the Lord says he is watching over you, he cares for you, and you can trust him with your future. And then she was so nervous, she didn't even say, does that make any sense to you? She just walked right out. So about three weeks later, she and her husband have saved a bit of money now, and so they're celebrating that they've saved a little bit of money. They're in Panera on a Saturday morning. <laughs> They're there having their treat, you know, their pastry, their reward, kind of like throwing a biscuit. To, well, I won't say that, but anyway. But uh, all of a sudden, the young girl that she talked to is there and walks up to her and says, do you remember coming up to me and saying that the Lord Jesus is watching over me and he was going to watch over my future? And Judy feels kind of sheepish and she's thinking, yeah, and afraid of what she's going to say. She said, I want you to know that my boyfriend and I, just a few days before then, we had found out I was pregnant and we were having a decision because I don't have a very good job, my boyfriend doesn't have a very good job, and we were uh, talking about most likely having the baby aborted. But when you told us those words, we knew that God would take care of us and take care of the baby, so we're keeping the baby. The Holy Spirit does not just empower you. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability, just as he gave those disciples the gift of tongues. He'll give you a tongue. It may be a supernatural. It may just be the boldness to transcend a cultural barrier. And it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. So then, how should we live? As that famous book by uh, whoever, Francis Schaeffer, how then should we live? Do we base our lives on the expectations of the culture or even the church culture around us? Or do we base our lives on the promises of God that says God can do far more than we can think or ask according to his power that works through us? 
Do we base our life with an expectation that we're going to see more of what we've already experienced? Or do we dare to believe God, as God said in 1 Corinthians 2.9, I have more for you than your eyes have seen, your ears have heard, more than you can understand. This is who our God is. He's a God that can use just little or less, right as we are, when we're filled with the Spirit, yielded to Him, to do absolutely amazing things. I'll close with this story before we go into ministry. A church in uh, London I was with a few years ago, um, we were having uh, quite a series of healings happening for three nights. And a guy in the worship band, he knew a young woman from his work. She was not a, a Christian. And she was actually wasn't working there, uh, but he'd met her through there. And she had, her name is B, and B was about 21 years of age. B had severe Crohn's disease. She'd suffer from severe Crohn's disease from the age that she was 13 on. Every week she had to go to a hospital, get interferon and other things. And I don't want to go be gross, so I won't go into details, but basically B had very little control. And so what it meant was she could never have a normal job. She was never going to have a normal life. The Crohn's disease affected everything and every relationship she had. And the doctors, after seven or eight years of this, had told her, B, you're going to have Crohn's, severe Crohn's, the rest of your life. You just need to make up your mind for this. She wasn't a Christian. But the guy in the worship band invited her to come to the meeting. She had never been in a charismatic Pentecostal-type meeting church before. In fact, I don't think she'd ever been to church before. And here during the worship, several hundred Christians lifting their hands, praising God. And uh, then she sits through the message. And then, once you know it, the Lord being Lord gave me a word of knowledge that he wanted to heal people with Crohn's disease. And she heard this, and her first thought was, the guy who invited me told the speaker I'm here. But she thought, no. And she felt I had to come forward, and she went forward. We prayed for her, and she felt this burning sensation deep within the inner parts of her digestive tract. And she ended up that night giving her life to the Lord Jesus, which obviously is the greatest healing of all. But when she got home that night, she felt so completely different she dared to not take her medicine that she had to take every night. And she went through the whole night without any problems and woke up feeling really good. That week, she didn't go in for her weekly treatment at the clinic. And they began to call her and say, B, are you there? What's up? What's going on? But she found that she was in perfect health. That was uh, four, about four or five years ago. B went on to get a job. She got involved in the church, got involved in the worship team, and ended up marrying that guy. And now she's going to worship school in London. Her whole life was changed because of just one touch of the Holy Spirit. Just one touch of the Holy Spirit. You look like you need another story. The front row is enthusiastic the further we get towards the back. It's, do you want to hear one more story? This is, a, this is a good one. This is about a Canuck. I mean, this is about a Canadian. <laughs> Peterborough, uh, here in Ontario, about four or five years ago, I'd been invited to do a conference there. 
And we actually have the video uh, interview uh, somewhere on my website with the mother and son, Lisa and her son, Ryan. So Lisa and Ryan have given me complete permission to tell this story and to show the video. But uh, Lisa was a single mom. Her supposed Christian husband had left her about five years before for another woman. And uh, Lisa was struggling on, but their son that was about, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years old when the father left, was so angry at his dad, he took the anger out on God and didn't want anything to do with God. And now Ryan was about 17, 18 years old. He's getting into all sorts of problems, problems with the police, problems with petty crime. He's been messing around with drugs and alcohol. And his mom loved him dearly, but after trying everything she can and Ryan not changing, she gave him an ultimatum. Now, Lisa did not go to this church where the conference is at, but she read the advertisement about this conference, and she decided to go. And she said, Ryan, you're going to that conference with me or I'm kicking you out of the house. To be kicked out of the house in San Diego, California is one thing. To be kicked out of the house in Canada is a whole other thing. <laughs> to, to many, depending upon the time of year. So Ryan very reluctantly goes to the conference and to add insult to injury, his mom makes him sit right up front, like the second row. And so Ryan is just sitting there, you know, 17, 18 years old, major attitude, angry at his mom, doesn't believe in God, angry at God if there is a God, angry at life. And on top of that, about a month before, he'd had a weightlifting accident. He'd severely messed up his left uh, shoulder and neck. For a month, he had not been able to turn his head to the left, and he was constantly having to raise his shoulder up in constant pain. And he had just been to the chiropractor. He put it off for several weeks, and the chiropractor examined and said, son, you're probably going to have to have two months of therapy before your shoulder's restored. So he's angry at that. He's in pain, just angry at everything in the universe. And God has such a sense of humor that God, the Lord gave me a word to pray for people with neck and shoulder problems. So about 10, 15 people come up. We're praying for people with neck and shoulder problems. Ryan did not come up. And the Lord gave me kind of a kicker on that word of knowledge. He said, and, and, and I said this, there's someone who has severe neck and shoulder problems. You should have come up. You knew you should have come up. But God's bigger than your unbelief. And the Lord says, just right where you're at right now, hold out your hands to the Lord. By this time, Ryan's realizing something's up here. So he looks all around to make sure nobody's looking at him. And with his hands on his lap, he makes this little cup with his hands. The second he did that, his neck and shoulder were instantaneously healed. All the pain completely gone, all the mobility restored. Ryan gave his life to the Lord Jesus that night. So now it's about 11 o'clock at night, and uh, Ryan's mom is trying to get out of there. She looks all through the sanctuary. He's not there. Goes to foyer. He's there. Goes out to the car. He's not there. Goes back, looks in the church again. He's not there. And she goes out, and she hears a commotion out on one side of the parking lot. Now, this church has a gravel parking lot, and she sees a pair of brand-new Nike tennis shoes with, uh, with legs in them, feet in them, up in the air. And she's thinking, I just bought Ryan a brand new pair of Nike tennis shoes like that. She walks over, and what had happened is some teenagers in the church had seen Ryan come up, give his life to the Lord, 
And they talked to him as he was walking out and said, hey, who are you? And he told them, and he said, did you give your life to the Lord? He said, yeah. And they said, these teenagers said, can we pray for you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? So, like a goof, he said, yeah. So, they said, let's go out in the parking lot. These teenagers gather around him, pray for him to be filled with the Spirit. He gets slam dunk in the Spirit, and he's laying on his back with his legs sticking straight up in the air, speaking in tongues. So... The whole car ride home, Ryan's got his hands up, eyes closed, just speaking in tongues, praising Jesus, you know. And, uh, you know, now you would think his mother was having an incredible night. It got worse because she, her bedroom was on the ground floor, and about every half hour all night long, there's a pounding on her door because Ryan went straight home, got out this family Bible, and read the Bible all night through, and every half hour he wants to tell his mom what God's saying to him through the scriptures. She didn't sleep at all that night, and finally she gets up late in the morning, and there's this huge trash bag there in the kitchen floor, and it was all the porno mags that Ryan had hidden, and he said, Mom, I'm, I'm through with this. Ryan has gone through ministry training school and now he's on staff at a church, I believe in Scarborough, as a youth pastor, and he regularly leads teams out in doing street evangelism. His whole life got turned around because of one touch of the Spirit. Because of one touch. Look at what happened to the Saul, the future Apostle Paul. Just one revelation of the glory of Jesus in the Damascus Road turned his life around. He went from being the chief persecutor of the church to the greatest apostle and possibly the greatest revivalist of all time. And so I believe with all my heart that part of what God is doing in 2017-18, he's got us in a, bringing us into a season of Pentecost. And when Paul said in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. It was not a suggestion. It was a directive word. Because you cannot live a Christ-like life aside from the Holy Spirit. You cannot exude the goodness of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, the revelation of Christ, you can not only, not only not characterize that in your own life, but you can't give it away unless you did what Jesus did. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, and ministered out of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad you're impressed. Let's, uh, let, let's stand. Can I have the keyboard player come on up? Whichever one of you used was on that. I spend so much time in different parts of the, of the world, I, I just use on the keyboard. <laughs> Let's just, uh, it just, anything except kumbaya, just, <laughs> just take us up as it were. Turn to the person next to you and say to them, excuse me. Now say to them, for the next 15 minutes, don't bother me. Tell them you're expecting a major download from God tonight. Let's just spread out a little bit. Let's be open before the Lord. Just lift your hands up to the Lord if you would and just close your eyes and let's just be open before the Lord. 
Would you pray out loud after me? Father God, thank you that you are not a respecter of people. You can use all of us, Lord, to extend your goodness, to seek first your kingdom. Father, right where I'm at tonight, with my questions, with my issues, I say, here am I, Lord. Would you fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill me with your power? Would you release gifts to me from on high? Use me to heal the broken hearts, to set the captives free. May the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Now just close your eyes and just allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move in our midst. Just take in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you don't need to strive for this. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. The Father longs to give you the kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist said, Jesus gives the Spirit without measure. So I don't care if you've had 85 experiences with the Lord in the last 85 years. Just say, Lord, here am I. Would you fill me tonight? Take me into a deeper level of the flow of your living waters. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's not be in a rush. Let's just be open here tonight. Take in the Spirit of the Lord. Take in the Spirit of the Lord. Just take in the Spirit of the Lord. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled in the name of Jesus. Trevor, be filled in the name of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord. Increase to you, Trevor. Increase to you, Trevor, in the name of Jesus. anointing upon you, Trevor, an increase of dreams, vision, revelation to you, increase to you in the name of Jesus, be filled. Jerry, in the name of Jesus, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, be filled with the creativity of the Spirit of the Lord, bless you, in the name of Jesus, Jerry, be filled with the Spirit of the Lord, Charlie, in the name of Jesus, be filled power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, be filled in the name of Jesus. Be filled right here in the name of Jesus. Increased here. Increased here. Increased in the name of Jesus. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled. There's such a, a deep but gentle presence of the Lord. Sometimes the Lord comes as a mighty rushing wind. Sometimes with Elijah in the cave, he comes as a still, gentle breeze. 
maybe some of you that you can sense the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. Just take that in. But some of you, maybe it's just the, the gentleness of the Lord that's on you. However the Lord is speaking to you, whatever the Lord is releasing, just take in the goodness of the Lord. We don't need to work anything up. We don't need to try to make anything happen. Just be open. Just be open to the Spirit of the Lord. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would uh, release revelatory gifts. Would you begin to release gifts of prophecy that, Lord, we could be those sons and daughters that dream dreams, that prophesy, that see visions, Lord God. I ask that you'd release power from on high. Give us a boldness to share the gospel with people maybe we've never met before, Lord God. Lord, let your anointing for healings and miracles be upon us, Lord God. Give us opportunities with Christians and non-Christians to lay hands on the sick, that healings and miracles, signs and wonders may be released in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let life be released in that name. Let life be released in that name. Come, Holy Spirit increase to you. Don't be in a hurry. Just take in the presence of the Lord. Just take in the presence of the Lord. Among other things the Lord's doing tonight, the Lord is healing some people of stomach conditions tonight. You might not have a serious disease like cancer of the liver or cancer of the colon, but I have a very strong sense, Lord, he's doing a deep work of stomach healings tonight. And we'll pray into that in a few moments. But some of you that have deep ongoing stomach or digestive issues or diseases, just allow the Holy Spirit to work. Just allow him to do what he's doing. But I want to stay focused for a few more moments on this uh, gentle, sweet infilling of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to try to shake things up. We don't need to try to manipulate things. We don't need to try to make things happen. We just need to be in a receiving position with the Lord. I want to ask that those of you uh, that right now, you can feel a bit of the heaviness of the Lord upon you, that you can feel a bit of the, the kabod, the weight of God's presence upon you, if you would come to the front right now, just uh, forget about uh, everybody else and just come to the front and stand in a line going across the, the front there. Just, yes, you can stretch out to the right and left. We can make a lot of room here. Yeah, just uh, maybe you can just stretch out. Everybody can take about 10 steps that way and make a little bit of room here. If you have to push people out of your way, that's okay. The kingdom of God suffers violence. Now here's what I'd like to do. If you're a Christian and one of these people up here is a friend of yours, uh, feel free to come stand behind them and to just put a hand upon their shoulder and bless them because God can use all of us 
to impart blessings. But those of you who came forward, and I'd like to ask uh, the pastors here, Charlie, uh, Jerry, and Trevor, if you'd help out to be available to pray for people. But those of you who came forward, just hold your hands out to the Lord. And just close your eyes and pray out loud after me. Father God, here am I. Would you send me in the grace, the power, and the leading of your Holy Spirit? I say, here am I. Send me. So come, Holy Spirit, upon all these men and women right now. Just take in the Spirit of the Lord. Just take in right there. Be filled. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit right there. Increase to you. Increase to you in the name of Jesus. Increase to you in the name of Jesus. Fire of the Lord on you right there. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you right there. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you right there in the name of Jesus. Can one of the men just come stand behind her here? Be filled right there. Be filled in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. Be filled in the name of Jesus. Be filled in the name of Jesus. Be filled. Be filled in the name of Jesus. The Lord is doing something not only with your immune system, but he's doing something tonight with your energy levels and your metabolism. And I break off weariness, I take off, break off tiredness, and I bless your metabolism, I bless your chemical system, and I bless your energy levels to come back and be full steam in the name of Jesus. I bless you to go from third gear into fifth gear in the name of Jesus. I speak divine restoration to you tonight in the name of Jesus. Fire of God on you right there. Fire of God on you right there in the name of Jesus. Increase to you. Just take in the Spirit of the Lord. Take in the Spirit of the Lord right there. Take in the Spirit of the Lord. Take in the Spirit of the Lord right there in the name of Jesus. Be filled. Be filled right there in the name of Jesus. More. Fire of God upon you right there. Fire. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you, carry in the name of Jesus. Fresh prophetic anointing upon you, carry in the name of Jesus. Fire of God upon Upon this young man here, there's a call for uh, evangelism and missions upon your life. And I bless you to preach the gospel to people in different cultures, different lands. I bless you to preach the gospel to Muslim people. I bless you to preach the gospel to Buddhists. I bless you to preach the gospel to atheists. I bless you to not only here in Canada, but even to different nations, different continents to preach the gospel. And I just say evangelistic fire on you in the name of Jesus. I just bless you, your feet, to take the good news over the mountaintops with the gospel. I bless your hands to be anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit for praying for the sick. In the name of Jesus, be filled right there with the Spirit of the Lord. Be filled right there. Fire of God on you right there. Fire of God on you right there. Fire of God on you. Fire of God. Fire of God. Maybe help her back up and you can just sit down in one of the seats right there. Just take a few steps back.
Come Holy Spirit right there. Fire of God on you right there. And also speak a release of healing to you in the name of Jesus. Healing to you. Healing. Fire of God on you right there. Fire of God upon you. Fire of God on you right there in the name of Jesus. I bless you with an increase of creativity in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask for um, a Bezalel type of anointing of creativity upon this man in the name of Jesus. what you're doing here, Lord God. Fire of God on you right there in the name of Jesus. Fire of God on you. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you right there. Fire of the Lord upon you right there. More, more. Can I get one of the men just come stand behind her here? be filled right now. Just be filled in the name of Jesus. Just be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I just bless you to know that El Elyon, the Most High God, He's watching over you. The Father Heart of God is watching over you. One of the names of God in the Hebrew is El Elyon, Most High God. He's watching over you in just great love, great care, great compassion. Be filled with the revelation of the Father's love for you tonight. Fire of God on you right there in the name of Jesus. And I believe the Lord would say to this man right here, in the 2017-2018, you're in a season of transition. And the Lord says, just relax. He's going to open doors for you that no man can shut. And he's going to shut some doors to the past that no one can open. And as some of those doors to the shut, past get shut, it's going to be frustrating. There's going to be a lot of questions. But the Lord says, be at peace. He's going to open up doors. There's going to be new direction, new opportunities for you. And this message I, I preached tonight about being fruitful and having abundant fruit for the glory of God, this message was for you. God has ordained that you have a very, very kingdom fruitful life and he's, he's working behind the scenes in ways you haven't been aware of and there's a, a grand mosaic the Lord is weaving together of your life and over the next couple of years as you look back there's a lot of things that uh, you used to think were random or why did this happen or why did that happen but like Joseph said what uh, you all intended for evil God allowed for good you're going to realize that God's been shaping you and molding you for future seasons of effectiveness. And I just bless you in the name of Jesus to just uh, come through this season of transition into incredible seasons of effectiveness and fruitfulness. Fire of God on you right there. Fire to you in the name of Jesus. Fire to you in the name of Jesus. Fire, Fire to you right there. More. More. And I also bless you with fresh creativity and energy in the name of Jesus. Fire of God on you right there. Fire. Fire of the Lord upon you right there. More. Fire. Fire. Fire of God upon you. Fire of the Holy Spirit. 
Father, let there be a fresh prophetic anointing upon this lady, Lord God, a fresh prophetic anointing upon you. I bless you with a fresh uh, freedom for dreams and visions from the Lord. Let there be a fresh freedom for dreams and visions, eyes to see and ears to hear. I bless the eyes of your heart to be enlightened and your ears to catch all the nuances of what the Spirit of the Lord would say to you. Fire of God upon you right there. And to this young woman, I believe the Lord would say to you, he has heard your prayers and he is hearing your prayers. And Lord says, you have not been praying in vain. He knows the desires of your heart. And straight out of Psalm 37, verse 4, as you have delighted yourself in him, he's going to give you the desires of your heart as you've been delighting yourself in the Lord. And the Lord says, don't be deceived. He has been hearing your prayers. He has been hearing your prayers. Fire of God upon you right there in the name of Jesus. Fire of the Lord upon you right there. And I just say boldness to you for evangelism. Boldness to you for evangelism. Boldness to you for evangelism in the name of Jesus. If, uh, if you're one of those people that suffers from chronic, constant stomach pain, it could be a disease. Maybe you do have something like Crohn's or maybe you have liver or kidney problems. Maybe you have... Um, uh, ulcers or uh, uh, diabetes due to pancreatic problems. But if you're one of those people that lives with constant ongoing stomach problems and or disease, disease of the stomach, would you just stand right now and lift a hand up to the Lord so we know who you are? Okay. Here's what I'd like to do. If, if you're a Christian and you're not raising your hand, look around you. And if you see some with their hand up, would you get near them and put a hand upon their shoulders right now? If you see someone with their hand raised up, there's a lady in the back, back there. There's a lady over here. And there can be more than one person praying for somebody. But put hands upon their shoulders. Father, in the name of Jesus, just close your eyes, you people that are raising your hands. Just close your eyes and be in a, just be in a position of receiving right now. In the name of Jesus, I speak of release, of divine healing now. In the name of Jesus. I take authority over ulcered stomachs from stress and anxiety. And I speak release of that supernatural peace of the Holy Spirit to your stomachs right now. I speak to kidneys and livers and I bless them to be rebuilt right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the lady here with the kind of white uh, print uh, top. Uh, what is your name? What's her name? Jennifer, in the name of Jesus, I can sense, even from, I don't know, six feet away, I sense the power of the Holy Spirit all over you right now. I bless your whole digestive tract to be renewed in the name of Jesus. I bless your whole digestive tract from the esophagus all the way down to the intestines. I bless everything to be renewed. And I, can, I bless your whole stomach to be filled with the peace of God now. Just keep praying for her for a few moments. The Holy Spirit's all over her. I take authority over 
uh, pancreases that are not functioning, that are not producing uh, the right amounts of insulin. And I speak healing to pancreases now. And I bless the white and, uh, white and red blood cells and the platelet levels to become normal. In the name of Jesus, I speak healing to the pancreases. There's a few people here, you have damaged livers, and I tell those livers to be made well in Jesus' name. I bless those livers to be made well. Just be in a position of receiving. Don't be in a hurry. Just allow the Holy Spirit to work. Just allow the Holy Spirit to work. Healing to you here in the name of Jesus healing to you right there in the name of Jesus. Healing to you here. There's somebody here um, it's, it's not migraine headaches you get but it's a very, I don't know, it may be from narrow sinuses but you get very intensive headaches especially right in here in the temple area um, and you get a lot of intense pressure and headaches right in there. Is there anybody here that that fits? You. Is there anybody else? One person? Okay. One's enough. <laughs> what is your name? What? Brenda, in the name of Jesus, I just speak to just both the sides of your head there. And in the name of Jesus, I speak release of the peace of God. And I bless those upper sinus passages. And I, I know they don't go into the temple area, but I just speak freedom to the sinus passages. And I bless the flow of blood throughout the temple area. And also just um, uh, changes when the barometer changes, pressure within the head. I just bless everything to become normal now. And I bless those sinuses to open up. But I tell those intense headaches that come to the temple area, I tell them to stop in the name of Jesus. And I just speak a release, a divine healing to you right there in the name of Jesus. Why don't you take us into a worship song and we'll close with that. for the name of Jesus for a release of healing to these sinus issues. She suffers that as well. And in the name of Jesus, I bless the sinus passages to open up. And Lord, let your miracle power come upon these sinuses now. And I tell them to increase, increase for a greater flow and change of pressure in the name of Jesus. Sinus headaches gone in Jesus' name. the keyboards and just go ahead and take us into it and I'll be fine.
keep playing, but I want this uh, young guy here. What's your name? Rob? Come on up here. Is this your home church, Rob? Jubilee is. Rob, uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but uh, what's, what's God doing in you tonight? <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's weighing heavy on me for sure, my heart. He's, uh, I'm in a huge transition, I guess, in my life right now, I feel like. And so I'm just, uh, I think he's bringing some answers together, which is kind of exciting. It's my lovely wife right here, Jen. So I'm just enjoying his presence. It's, it's weighing heavy on me, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's great. Just stay up here. If, how many of you, you know that you're in a season of transition in 2017, 2018? If that's you, just stand up right now. I call it the T word for trouble. Transition always means trouble, but it's always a vehicle of God. Bob, I just want you to pray for them, that God would give them as they go through the season what he's given you. Awesome. So, Lord, I just I lift up the house here to you today and everyone here, God, that may be uh, seeking answers and, and looking uh, for the next thing, uh, the next door to open. Uh, and, God, I just ask right now that you bring clarity, you bring vision, you bring dreams, and you bring peace to those areas and those answers in their hearts, God, that they're looking for. And, Holy Spirit, as you're just resting so peacefully right now, I just pray an increase, God, of your love and just that... that um, Father, that desire to know Jesus more. God, Holy Spirit, just rest on them. Let joy rise up in their hearts, God. And I just speak to every door that needs to be open right now in their life to be opened in Jesus' name. Every door that needs to be closed to be closed. And God, thank you that you're that it's all about love and that you love us. And God, you never put us in a corner that we can't get out of. There's always an answer. Whenever you feel it's too hard or too difficult, he's always got an answer there. It's a soft voice telling you where to go, what direction to go in. And sometimes it's nice to have encouragement and words, but God, just bless this season right now, God, and ask for um, a transition, God, to go smoothly and doors to be opened in Jesus' name and quicker than you think. Amen. Lord, we, we thank you for your breath that is within us, that your very Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells within us, and your word tells us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We thank you for tonight, Lord. We praise you. We delight in you. And we thank you. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do these next three nights. We bless Bethel Pentecostal family here. We bless you in the name of the Lord. We thank the Lord for you. We bless and thank the Lord for Pastor Charlie and Grace. Chad and Melissa 
and this whole family. We just bless you guys in the name of the Lord. May Pentecost come more and more upon you in this season of Pentecost. And come and take Stratford for the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Go with us now. May the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the companionship of the Holy Spirit go with each of us tonight and throughout every day this week. Lord, we pray for divine appointments. Wherever we go this week, may the Spirit of God come out of our very pores. The Spirit of Christ touching those around us, even as you continue to touch us. We love you. We trust you. We thank you. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hope to see you Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or all the above at Jubilee at 7 o'clock. Check out the book table and enjoy blessing one another in the Lord. Good night.